Thank you for listening to the Reformation Bible Church podcast. We hope you are edified and encouraged by our ministry as you listen to our Gospel of John sermon series. For more sermons and resources, please visit the RBC website at www.rbcbakersfield.org. Thank you once again, and may the Lord bless you. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for, for your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us this morning. God, bring us unto yourself this morning. The ears that have come, let them be open, Lord, to hearing and understanding. The minds, Lord, that have come, let them understand, perceive. The hearts that are here, Lord, let them be open to believe. Lord, satisfy us. Fulfill every longing that we have. Let us see that our satisfactions are found in you. Every longing, every desire that we have is found in you. Lord, minister to our hearts this morning through your word. I decrease so that you may increase. I become less so that you, you can become more. I bring myself low so that you can be brought high. Let your people not see me or hear me, but see you, God, and hear you. I pray that we would be transformed by the power of your spirit and your word. Let it be done this morning to your praise and to your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning on this Lord's Day as we continue our exposition of the Gospel of John. The last time that we were together, we were looking at an intimate setting with Jesus Christ and his disciples. We are, we are getting a, a look, an intimate look into the final moments of the life of Jesus with his disciples. In the 13th chapter of the book of John, we are getting a glimpse into the, the final meal that his disciples are having with Jesus before he is crucified. As they were together, apparently there arose a dispute among these men concerning which of them would be remembered as the greatest. And in order to display to his disciples what it truly meant to be great, Jesus humbles himself by performing for his disciples one of the most degrading tasks that any human being at that time could perform. The Bible says in John 13, 4, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. As the creator washes the feet of his creation, he comes to Peter. And Peter, being who Peter is, objects to what Jesus is doing for him, or to him, by what he's giving to him, or or objects to what Jesus is giving to him through what he is doing for him, if that makes more sense. He says to him in verse 6, Lord, do you wash my feet? Another way of saying that would be, Lord, do you... Being who you are, wash my feet, being who I am. Peter did not understand or accept the Holy One of God doing such a menial task. 
Jesus understood the significance of this shameful act and what this act was pointing to, namely, the shame of the cross. Verse 7, Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do, not, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter could not foresee this act that Jesus was performing producing any good, just as he would later not be able to perceive the cross being something that would be fruitful. Because he would later rebuke the Lord Jesus Christ when Jesus told them that his final destination was crucifixion on a cross. Verse 8, Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. At that comment, Jesus responds in such a way that horrifies the disciple Peter. Horrifies this man of hasty ignorance. He says to him in verse 8, If I do not wash your feet or wash you, you have no share with me. Now the thought that Peter could potentially be separated from Christ and have no part with the one or in the one who had captured his heart horrified Peter. And it caused him to respond in verse 9, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Give me a bath, he says. Jesus points out that receiving a bath was not the point of the action that he was performing. Jesus was symbolically washing the feet of his sheep. But he also wanted to make it very clear to all of those who were in that room, especially to one particular person, that though he had washed all of their feet, that this act of service for his people was not for all of them, because all of them were not his people. In the same way, Christ would soon make his way to the cross. And though the, that sacrificial death was made on behalf of sinful humanity in general, it was not made for every single person without distinction. Meaning this, that though his death is for the world, it is only going to be powerful for those whom he has chosen. And though he has washed all of their feet, they are all not his. Christ marked out those for whom he died. And in the same way, Christ is making this point, that yes, he washed all of their feet, but they are not all his. Verse 10, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who it was that was going to betray him. The Lord Jesus points his disciples to this act of service and says, this is an act of service that you should follow. If Christ, being their teacher and Lord, performed this kind of act, then there should be no action, no task that is below the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no task that is too low for us. We are not above any task. Amen. Jesus wanted to make it very clear again, but he is not speaking to every single one of them. Yes, they were all present physically, but spiritually, there was still one who was walking in darkness. And how deep that darkness was. Today, in the following 12 verses, we will see the, the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, the confusion of the disciples, and finally, and it was night. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. John chapter 13, verses 18 through 30. 
I'm not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his, he- his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom he loved, was reclining at the table at, Je- at Jesus' side. Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag. Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated this morning. Number one, the deity of Christ. Verse 18, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. Another version says the scripture must be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place. That when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So as Jesus, get the picture returns to his proper place of of honor at the feast with his disciples. He's done a, a startling act by washing the feet of his disciples, and now he begins to say some startling, shocking statements. And although the disciples were confused as to, as to what Jesus meant, Jesus was in no no way, no shape or form confused as to what he was saying. Apparently, out of nowhere... Apparently out of nowhere, one of you is going to betray me. Apparently, out of nowhere, you may have fooled everyone else, but not me. I see you. You may have been able to hide from everyone else, but I see you. Jesus makes statements indicating that Although they are all there, they are not all there. Jesus makes a statement indicating that he sees into their hearts. He specifically has chosen every single one of them because of what he has done in their hearts. And although he is speaking to all for all to hear in that particular moment, not all of them have been given ears to hear because not all of their hearts have been changed. Similar to what may be happening this morning. There may be people who are present here, but they do not have ears to hear. 
There may be those who are physically here, but their hearts have not been changed. He says in verse 18, I am not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen. As they were sitting in the presence of Jesus, they were enmeshed in his words. But he has been alluding to something like this for a while now. But he's now driving it home more passionately than he has ever done before. Not all of you are clean. I'm not speaking to every single one of you. You are all not chosen. Imagine sitting amongst the men that you had always assumed were passionately following Christ. And at this particular moment, he says, all but one. All but one. Would you not be concerned that you might be that one? They were. He said something like this before. It was in passing, but it was a weighty statement. It was such a weighty statement that the disciples should have grabbed hold onto it. And as a matter of fact, as John is writing, they almost write in, well, they do write in hindsight, and they reflect on what Jesus has said in the past. The time that Jesus said, them, said this in the past came when Jesus had been making some harsh statements concerning the cost of following him, found in John chapter 6. Truly, truly, 53, I say... To you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And upon hearing these words, many who were following him at that time no longer followed him any longer. And you can imagine why. If someone comes to you and says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, you may have second thoughts on whether or not you should be attending their church, right? Jesus says to them, if you want life, eat my blood or drink my blood, eat my flesh. And then he turns to his disciples. Then he says to them, will you leave as well? Do you take offense at this? And once again, it was Simon Peter who spoke up and said in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Amen. That's good word, Peter. Can you imagine being amongst the disciples, patting him on the back? That's good, Peter. Speak up. That, that's what I would have said. And the response of Christ at such a powerful statement, spoken by Peter on behalf of the twelve. And if you can imagine all of them, encouraged by what Peter has just said. And Jesus says to them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And they all pat each other and say, yeah, we're one of the twelve. But then he says, and yet one of you is a devil. Can you imagine bumping each other and saying, good job, that's a good one. We're all a part of the twelve, the twelve of us. And Jesus, as he walks, maybe turns around and says, but one of you is a devil. There's no record of what the disciples said or even thought in response to, to what Jesus had said. But that moment has now come full circle. And these words that were spoken by Jesus, maybe at that time, a year or two years ago, are now being said again at this feast. This last feast. And why? Why what? You must ask yourself why. Why did he even choose a devil to follow him? Think about that. I've, I've chosen you twelve, and yet one of you that I have chosen is a devil. Then why choose the devil? Jesus, why would you even go to the, to the, to the extreme of allowing this, who we know, betrayer? This traitor, this treacherous man, why allow him to follow you? Jesus tells us, verse 18, so that the scriptures will be fulfilled. 
He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Why choose the devil? Because God has decreed it and ordained it to be so. Here, as in so many other cases, the Lord acts in such ways so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. That which God has ordained would come to pass and be fulfilled. In this case, he quotes Psalm 41. Psalm 41, 9. Even my close friend in whom I have trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. This psalm is quoted from one who is greater than the writer David, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is in reference to one that is more treacherous than Ahithophel, Judas Iscariot. It was ordained before the foundations of the world that God, the Son, would come and be like one of his creations. That he would live a perfect life, one of perfect obedience to the law of God. And it was also ordained that he would be betrayed, betrayed and killed by one who was close to him. Why? But the Lord had picked this treacherous traitor because the scriptures must be fulfilled. Because that which God has said must come to pass. Verse 19, he says, I am telling you this now because, or before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Please do not miss this point that Jesus is making to his disciples. He's telling them, listen, the future. I'm telling you this now so that when it happens, you'll believe that I am he. He's telling them the future. He's going to be betrayed. It is one of you. And when it happens, I need you to know that though it will come as a complete surprise to all of you. It is not a surprise to me. Though every single one of you will be shocked. I am. He is in no way shocked. Listen, by the betrayal or the betrayer. Do you get that? Do you get that? This will come, and when it does, know that I told you beforehand. How did you tell me? How did you know? He tells them. When it happens, I need you to know that I told you, and then when you realize that I told you, recognize that it points to who I am. I am he who tells the future. Who tells you the future just as it will happen. Who knows the future, friends? Who tells you the things that will happen before they happen? Just as they would happen? Not an I told you so. Like we sometimes do. But an exact future of how it will happen, when it will happen, and whom will be the person who does it. Who does this? Friends, the only person who does this, who meets that criteria, is God Almighty. Jesus is telling his disciples, what? That he is God. He tells them that you may believe that I am he. The literal translation in the Greek is uh, you go a me, which means I am. So your scriptures say you may believe that I am he. The actual literal Greek translation of it is this, that you may believe that I am. A reference to Exodus chapter, thir- Acts chapter 3 verse 14 when Moses stands before the burning bush and he says, I am that I am. Jesus is saying to them that when this happens, you will know you are standing before the great I am. Wow. Telling the future so that when, they, when it comes to pass, they will know that God, the I am, has told me what will happen. Isn't that encouraging? It will be encouraging for them, though they will go through a, a, a period of discouragement. They will ultimately be able to reflect back on what he has told them and be encouraged that I am was with them. 
and I am told them what would take place. And their faith would grow even stronger in I am. He has perfect knowledge of whom he has chosen. He has perfect knowledge of all people. He has perfect knowledge of those whom he has not chosen. He has perfect knowledge of the past, the present, and the future. How? Because he is God. That's how. Is this not what the Apostle John was communicating to us at the outset of this gospel? John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14, and the Word, that Word that was with God in the beginning became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Walking among these men, living among these men, eating with them, fellowshipping with them, was the very creator of the universe through whom all things were made and without whom not one thing was made that was made. He, God in the flesh, had been sent into, into the world. He had called his own and also, he has brought his own to himself and sends them out. Just as he sends, them, just as he was sent into the world, he sends us out. Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Yes, he is eternal God, full of grace and full of truth. He is God in the flesh, the great I am. And yet, at the same time, he has condescended. To man by becoming like man or becoming a man. Number two, the humanity of Christ. Verse 21, listen to this. After saying such a powerful statement that when this happens, I need you to know that it's pointing to who I am because I told you before it happened, right? And after such a, a powerful statement of who he is, that I am. Verse 21 after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Yes, he is God incarnate. Yes, he is the creator of all things. Yes, he is the great I am. And yet he has humbled himself, becoming like one of his created beings, exposing himself to what? The pain of humanity. The betrayal of humanity. One thing that we experience almost all the time, or at least one time in our lives. The prophet Isaiah said of this man, Jesus, that he is a man of sorrows, who is acquainted with grief. And if you can imagine the scene, Jesus sitting at the table with his disciples. And as he's sitting there with his disciples, he's also sitting there with the one who is a traitor. He has alluded to it. I do not speak of all of you. He who has ate, eaten my bread has lifted his heel against me. And now, finally, Jesus, more than ever before, is zeroing in on exposing the traitor. The hour has come. The scriptures must once again be fulfilled. And this man that Jesus had brought into his company for the past three and a half years 
is on the verge of performing the most heinous act in all of human history. The betrayal of the only innocent man who ever lived. Jesus was troubled in his spirit. We've heard this statement before. When he stood in the presence of mourners who mourned over the death of Lazarus, he was moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And we see this statement again. When Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was moved, he was troubled in his spirit. But this sorrow is completely different. Yes, he is moved. Yes, he is troubled. And he is troubled because he's exposing his humanity, yes. But he's experiencing one of the greatest pains that you and I will ever feel. Betrayal and heartbreak. And he has succumbed himself to that kind of human emotion. Was he God? Of course. Did that mean that he did not feel? Of course not. He was a man just like you and I. He was able to feel just like you and I. Oh, he understood better than you and I the purposes of it. But it did not take away the pain of it. Did he know that Judas would do this? Yes. Did he specifically choose Judas for this purpose? Yes. Was it preordained by God? Yes. But in spite of all of those immovable truths, it did not take away the pain that the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, felt at this moment. Oh, we know the feeling. Sadly, we know that feeling all too well. We know what it is like to, to love people, to give time and effort to care for them, to protect them, to provide for them, only to have them turn their backs on us, to betray us. The scriptures quote again in, in Psalm 41, of though the one who I fed has lifted his heel against me is, is reference to an animal that you have raised, that you have fed that you have nurtured, that you have watched over, that you have even sat with at night. And the moment you feed them, when you walk away, that animal kicks you in the back of the head. That was pretty good. Kicks you in the back of the head. What a betrayal that we have all known, that we have all experienced at one point in time in our lives. And many of us have trouble going forward sometimes because of the betrayal that we've experienced in the past. Some of us refuse to even reach out and love people because of the one time that we've been betrayed by someone else, because of the one time that someone hurt us in ways that we could have never imagined. Well, friends, Jesus never said that people would not hurt you. Jesus never promised you that you would never have any trouble. Jesus never promised you that nobody would ever hurt your feelings or turn their back on you. And that Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, was betrayed. Who are we to think that we would not experience the same kind of pain? The teacher is not above his master. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Imagine Jesus walked with, talked with, fellowshiped with, ate with, had intimate talks with this man for three and a half years. And now this man is truly being revealed for who he is. But did the reality of Judas' betrayal deter Christ from the mission that he was sent to accomplish? No. Did the reality that Judas was a betrayer prevent Christ from saying, Ah, forget it, I'm not going to the cross. These people are not worth it. 
Of course not. In the same way, though you may have been hurt before and though you may or will be hurt in the future, do not let that stop you from pursuing the high call that Christ has called you to hit, to you too in Him. By sharing the gospel, by making disciples, and many times it will be those that you think you are discipling that will turn their back on you. Friends, I've been in the ministry now for coming up on 17 years. And in that time, I can't tell you how many people have turned their back on me. In 17 years, can you imagine the amount of people? In 17 years, and if Lord should tarry to give me more years, some of you will also be the same. But 17 years has gone, and many heartbreaks have come, many betrayals have happened, and it will not stop me from pursuing the purpose and the call that God has in my life. And it should not do that for you as well. Amen. Amen. People are people. They are going to hurt you. People are sinful. They are going to betray you. Even those whom you think would never do so. I warn you. Guard your heart. Against what? Not against people. Against stopping, against, 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 let me slow myself down, against continuing to reach out and love people in spite of the fact that they will bite your hand when you do. Don't stop loving them. Because if you do, the enemy has accomplished what he wants to accomplish by causing you to stop obeying the command of Christ. Don't stop. Don't stop. It did not stop Christ from going to the cross. It also did not stop him that when he was being nailed to the cross to call out, for Father, forgive them. For they know not what they're doing. This was necessary. Did it hurt? Yes. Was it painful? Of course. It's never, it never feels good. But it was necessary. Why? In order to bring many sons and daughters into the kingdom. Imagine if Jesus, at the knowledge of knowing that Judas was going to betray him, said, forget it. You would still be lost in your sin. Imagine when someone hurts you. You saying, forget it, I'm going to live in my glass house. And nobody's allowed to touch me any longer. Imagine how many people will not be reached because you refused. You, know, you allowed that situation or that hurt to stop you from continuing to reach out. Friends, brothers and sisters, do not lose heart. And do not, do not stop obeying the command of Christ to love and it will it will be risky, but gosh, there is no reward without risk. Amen. Amen. Bible says in Second Timothy uh, four nine, Paul knew this all well. Do your best to come to me, speaking to Timothy, for Demas is in love with this present world and has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. One of his one of the people that was serving Paul deserted him. Loved this world more than he loved Christ. Turned from him and said, I'm, I'm alone now. He said that he goes on in verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. He said in verse 16. And at my, at my first defense, no one came to stand with me. All deserted me. You must be willing to accept that. You must be willing to accept that I will give my love. 
And there may, there may be those who hurt me, who desert me, who turn their back on me. But it will not stop me from giving out my love. Because the Lord Jesus Christ submitted himself to the pains of humanity, he knew all too well what it was to feel and experience betrayal. So once again, don't lose heart and don't be discouraged when it happens to you. Notice that I just said when it happens to you. Not if it happens to you. Because it will. And how you respond to it will determine how much you have learned between that time and the next time it happens again. Number three, the disciples' confusion. Verse 22. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread. When I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. The disciples hear this grave statement. One of you is a deceiver. And all of us today, as we're reading this this gospel, we all know it's Judas. But you have to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples during that time. None of them knew it was Judas. You get that? We all hear. We know it was Judas. We all hear. If we were at that moment, and especially in that particular time, Judas was a common name. We might have even had a kid named Judas. You know anybody named Judas now? Why? Because we know the story, right? Of course, we know what happens to Judas. But at this particular time, nobody knew who Judas was in the sense that God knew or the sense that Jesus knew who Judas was. Judas had everybody fooled. Nobody would have ever suspected if you would have gone down the list of who's a traitor. Nobody would have ever suspected Judas. There is no scriptural indication that the disciples had any clue. First of all, that any of them were a betrayer, let alone Judas. So to hear Jesus say to all of them, one of you is an imposter. It shocked them in a way that we cannot begin to understand. They began to even look around at one another in Matthew chapter 26 and, say, and, and, and ask each other, is it me? Am I, the, am I the betrayer? Did I do it? The Bible even says that Judas asked, is it me? Can you imagine? One after another, asking Jesus, am I the betrayer? Am I the betrayer? And maybe Judas was joining the chorus of people so that he would not seem to be guilty. But he too even asked, not me. Jesus informs us, one of his disciples, or John informs us, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. This has historically been believed to be the actual John, the apostle himself. John always refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. And he was sitting in such a a close proximity to Jesus that he was able to lean back against Jesus. The, The actual Greek translation of it is that he fell upon Jesus. And then he speaks to Jesus, Jesus in such an intimate way that it's beyond or it's, it's lower than a whisper. So that nobody else would hear. So when we read it, we think that he's asking out loud. Lord, who is it? But the Bible actually is, is in, in indicating that it's a closer discussion to where he asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus says to him, it is the one 
he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And during this time, it was seen as a gesture of honor. Listen to this. When the person who sat at the place of honor, this being Jesus, would take any type of food or drink and hand it to any of the guests within the, the dinner table. So for Jesus to take the morsel of bread, to dip it into the bowl, and to personally hand it to Judas, was seen amongst the other disciples as an act of honor to Judas. Can you imagine? Still, at that particular time, at that particular moment, when Judas is about to perform the most heinous act in all of human history, Jesus is still honoring him. What a humble God we serve. What a humble God we serve. And it shows us that he has not only commanded, but he, has, he himself has performed, bless those who curse you. That he has not only commanded, but he has also performed, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Friends, Jesus is not giving us commands that he has not obeyed. He's giving us commands that he himself has done. And his disciples, they were utterly oblivious to the treachery of Judas. They were in complete confusion at any kind of uh, any inclination that Judas was going to do what he was going to do. As a matter of fact, when Judas leaves, John tells us, as he remembers uh, that particular night, he says, they all thought that, that Judas was going out to buy food or that he was going to give money to the poor. That's how confused, that's how, how blind they were to the actions of Judas. How could they be so blind? Let us close this morning with our fourth and final point. And it was night. Verse 26. So when Judas had dipped the morsel, or when Jesus had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what are you going, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money back, Jesus was telling him to go buy what they need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. And it was night. Friends, how was Judas able to remain under the radar of his fellow disciples? Can think about that? A friend of mine texted me yesterday. Wasn't Judas among those who Jesus sent out to cast out demons and perform miracles? Yes, he was. How did he remain undetected by them even then? He served people right alongside his disciples. He sat under the same teaching of his disciples. He walked right alongside them as one of them. He was sent out to teach, cast out demons right along the other disciples. As far as they were concerned... As far as they could see, Judas was just as devoted to Christ as they were. But Judas Iscariot was a con man. Listen to this. Judas Iscariot was living a double life. He was not conning Jesus. He's conning everybody else. Jesus knew Judas before Judas was even born. And when Judas, Jesus washed the feet of this, his disciples, he made it very clear. You may have fooled everyone else, but you're not fooling me. 
Isn't that a scary thought? That you could be under the same teachings. That you could be going to the same events. That you could be serving in the same way. And yet you could still not be a true follower of Christ. Not because of any other reason but this. Because you're living a double life. How many ministers, preachers of the gospel, were caught recently on Ashley Madison? For those of you who don't know what that is, it's a site for married people to have affairs. And when it came out concerning all of the emails, this is they were going to expose all the emails of all the people. How many of those people were ministers? I could name one particular, but because he's repented of sin, I will not. One that I I love and appreciate. Living a double life. You may have fooled everyone else, but you're not fooling him. A friend of mine asked me, how is that possible? Well, the way I would answer it is this. He may have been walking with him, apparently doing the same acts. But he will stand before Christ and there will be one response that Christ has to him. Depart from me, you sinner. I never knew you. But I I perform many miracles in your name. I cast out many demons in your name. Who do you think he was speaking of? Judas and those just like him. John 12 informs us that Judas was a thief. And that he used to steal money from the money bag. He pretended to be concerned about spiritual matters when actually in his heart, he cared nothing for spiritual matters. He pretended to care for people when actually he cared nothing for people. He lived with Jesus Jesus for three and a half years, seen miracles, heard teachings, spent intimate time with him. And in spite of all of that, there was no real change in his heart. How sad that is. And brothers and sisters, how scary that is. Outwardly appearing to be just like everyone else, but inwardly he was utterly As dark as the night that he went into when he left to betray Christ. How could he live this close to Jesus and be so far away? How? I ask the same thing about some of you sometimes. How could you hear the things you're hearing and not respond in a way that a person who has truly been regenerated should respond? In the 17 years that I've been walking with the Lord and ministering this gospel... I have seen countless hear teaching, stand under good ministries, and yet for whatever reason, turn away. Don't be deceived. There are many in local churches today who feed the poor, have Christian terminology down, physically present, and yet their hearts do not belong to Christ. Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are so far from me. Preachers, elders, deacons, etc., etc. We must always examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. Oh, and it may be bad. You may think that you're getting away with with something by fooling everyone else, but you're only fooling yourself. The moment that Jesus handed the morsel of bread to Judas, Satan entered him. 
entered into him. He was already a child of Satan. But this passage indicates that Satan actually possessed him. Imagine that. He was already a, 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 a child of Satan. He already was not regenerated. His heart did not belong to God. But, but make, to make it even worse, when Jesus handed him that morsel of bread, Satan literally took possession of him. Can you imagine and Jesus looking into the eyes of his betrayer as his eyes change? I don't know what that looks like. But to have the eyes of someone who is possessed by Satan looking at the, the one who is the holy one. And can you imagine the rage in Satan's eyes? Can you imagine the, 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 the desire to, to kill and to murder in Satan's eyes? And Jesus looks at him and says, what you are going to do. Go do it quickly. Don't wait. Get on with it. Huh? One may say, well, then did Judas act upon his own will? Of course he did. What he was doing was ordained by God. Sure. What he was doing was, was, was known by Christ even before he did it. Sure. But he made his own choice. Judas had already decided to betray Jesus before Satan ever entered him. Satan just accelerated the plans. Satan's not going to wait to kill you. He wants to kill you now. And can you imagine Satan standing before the Holy One of God? Let's kill him now. Oh, he doesn't know the eternal plans of God? Of course not. He didn't know that this was going to be the way that God ordained it. He's simply a puppet in God's hands to fulfill the purposes of God's plans. He went out and it was night. And those, the last verse chapter of, of chapter 13, verse 30 there, Reveals the condition of Judas's heart. And it was night. His heart was dark and full of sin. But listen closely, friends. Lest we think that Judas is the only one guilty of betraying the Lord Jesus Christ. We must not forget that apart from the saving work of grace in our hearts, we sinners, we are all betrayers of Christ. You hear that? We must not forget that apart from the saving work of the grace of God in our hearts, the hearts of sinners, we would all be betrayers of Christ. We've all rebelled. We've all turned from a holy God. We've committed sin in Adam. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 6, 23. Romans 3 describes us as those who do no good, mouths with open graves, who deceive, who speak, and when we speak, venom pours out of our mouths, who are swift to shed blood, and who have no fear of God. It sounds like a Judas to me. Apart from Christ, you are Judas. Apart from Christ... You are Judas. You may say, well, I would have never done what Judas did to Jesus. You may have not. Maybe not. But apart from the saving work of grace that God did in your heart, you may not have been Judas. But you would have definitely been one in the crowd saying, crucify him. This act will go down as the most heinous act in all of human history. And would have been better for Judas if he had never been born. Yes. But how many of us, I pray not, how many do you know? How many in this world, every single day, curse the God who has created them? 
curse the God who has clearly revealed himself to them in creation, in his word, in their consciences, and in his son, and yet turn their backs on him in disgust every single day. Oh, they are living in the night that Judas went out to. Let us be far from the path of Judas, brothers and sisters. Let us not be deceived into thinking that our physical presence equals God's holy presence in our lives. Examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. And I ask you this morning as we prepare to take fellowship with the Lord at his table, that you would examine yourself. Are you truly his? Has your heart truly been captured by him? Don't be deceived into thinking that because you are here, he is there. Instead, ask him to search your heart. Ask him to search your mind. And if you find that you do not belong to him, I ask you to repent of your sin and turn to Christ in faith for your salvation. Be united to him. Ask him to make your joy complete in him by affirming that you are truly his and that he is truly yours. Ask yourself this morning, if you're wondering, well, how do I do that? Ask yourself, have I truly trusted in him alone for my salvation? Have I forsaken all trust in myself for my salvation? And have I thrown myself at the foot of the cross saying, I can do nothing to save myself? And if friends... You have agreed to that and you have placed your faith in him alone and you are his. And don't let the enemy deceive you into thinking that you are not. Let us stand.